Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is four-time Olympic cyclist Anna Mears. A great rival, Anna Mears from second wheel. Pendleton leads, Mears tries to jump her down the back straight and she's got her on the outside. Anna Mears goes to the lead. Pendleton, I think, is a spent force. It's Anna Mears' goal, Rick. It's Anna Mears winning gold in the Olympic final. And I'll do like a whole intro thing, not with you here, because I find that awkward. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you come in and go, I'll just... One error in there. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. had that happen before. Oh, no, same. That's yeah. why I don't want to do it in case I'll be, I'll be like, and she went to three Olympics. Yeah. Uh, actually. I got introduced live once at an event and they had my stats wrong and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't let it slide. <laughs> it actually was good because it broke the ice really yeah. well for the whole night. You are so good. I'd just be like, <laughs> yep. That's right. Couldn't let it go. Very accurate. Because if if they weren't accurate, it ruined my opening line. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You're under the bus. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Honestly, it's such a privilege to have you here today because I have been such an incredible fan of yours forever. Um, You made your first Olympics in 2004 and that was my first Olympics as well. And I feel like I've been able to see your entire journey throughout your um, Olympic campaigns. I mean, you've won medals at four Olympics. So (laughs) I'm sure it's really hard to pick like one profound moment that you are most proud of in your sporting career. But if you had to choose one, what would it be? Yeah, it's... um it is a hard one. Um, I think I would put London, my London goal, definitely at the top of the tally. You were in the stands for that. <laughs> I was. I was like, I wonder if she'll say that because that is. Uh, it was one of the best nights. Yeah, of my you life. got good airtime actually. Yeah, that I, final night. I was like, hey, I'm on TV. I'm one, but yeah. I'm here. I am. Yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely say that because um, I got to the chance to reapply everything that I learned after. I had a big accident in 2008 and came back for silver, which I would also put on par with that gold yes. in, in London. But I got the chance to really understand my capabilities and what I was weak at, what I was strong at, and really knuckle down to be the best version of the athlete that I could be. And mm. I think London culminated that because I literally had to beat the best to be the best. Mm. And um, Vicky... Until that time, you know, she'd been undefeated for six years internationally. Because you guys had such an incredible rivalry, you and Victoria Pendleton. Like it was just out of this yeah. world. <laughs> intense. In- intense. And, you know, we've had a few exchanges since she retired after London, I retired after Rio. And I think time and space has given us both the opportunity to really appreciate what we each brought to the table. Mm. And no, we realised no one else in the world can have – the understanding of what we each went through, Mm. even though there's been some great rivalries through sport, but the incidental pressure that we each felt Mm. on that line in London, um, we've been able to kind of paint the other 180 of the picture for Mm. each other. So, yeah. I find that fascinating because I've definitely felt that since retiring from sport as well, the intensity of that rivalry creates a relationship that kind of no one else really understands. Yeah, and one that wasn't there when you were competing. No, because oh, there like, was none there. <laughs> you're getting none of me who I am personally. You're just mm. getting, you know, game face, poker face, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's been quite fascinating how much of 
our life and our experiences post-sport have been very similar. Mm. The struggles, the challenges, we've both been through divorce. Um, you know, we both look back on our sport with a bit of a slanted look because we're just not sure how we can even in- interpret our own career mm. because we now see sport with a, a hindsight kind of perspective. Mm. Um, so we've got to be careful. I've got to be careful not to judge myself back then with what I know now. How do you mean? Um, well, some, I've learned so much about me and my, myself, and my career since I retired. Mm. That's only come because I've had the time and space to do that. When, when you're in it, you're literally in it. And sometimes you can't even take a step back to see what, what you did. I would, don't ask me what I did two days ago as an mm. athlete. I had no idea. Yeah. It's always the next thing, right? Always the next thing. How do I make this better today? So tomorrow can be even better and tomorrow even better. You don't ever look back holistically, give yourself a pat on the back or take a breath. Yeah. And often when you win, it's harder to turn it around and come back because you have to ask even find, you know, the answers to bigger questions mm. to improve more. Mm. And after you've won, it's harder to win again. Really, Absolutely. Um, in a big way. So um, I actually sometimes, even though I hated losing, mm. preferred to lose mm. because I felt like I had more scope to improve. Yeah. Whereas when you're at the top, you were there was no measure for success other than the top. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So what made you keep going after London? What was the questions that you were asking yourself to kind of pursue another Olympic campaign? There are a couple of things. Had I have won more in London, I would have retired mm. because I was mentally in that space where th- I think this is it. I want to have a family. There was a lot to life other than sport that was important to me. My teammate Carly and I got bronze in the team sprint on day one, which we had been world champions for three years prior to that. Right. That hurt. I bummed the Kieran. I was world champion. I got fifth. Like I didn't oh. even medal. Um that's and, tough. you know, to rub salt in the wound, Vicky won that one. <laughs> and, you know, and the headlines were, Vicky wins, Mia's fifth. They didn't mention second, third and fourth. It was just first and where I ended up. Like, um, Ouch. <laughs> yeah, but I also wore that heavy because I really appreciated and backed my team because mm. I'm, I'm, I know I'm an individual athlete and I'm seen that way, but I had a huge number of people who worked just as hard as I did, whose names never made the headlines, who never won the medals that all have to let go at the end of the day for mm. me to perform and win. And I knew that that was my mistake for their success as well. So um, after I won the sprint, I felt disappointed still for the overall performance, but I still felt like I was at the top of my game and I was just curious. To see where it could go. Yeah. And I'd, I'd known the improvement I'd made in four years, given what I had learned. Um, and I, there were still four things I wanted to do mm. that I hadn't yet done which was break the 500 world record again, be under 33 seconds. took me 10 years between Athens and when I did that. But you did it. But I did it. (laughs) I wanted to win one more world title because that would take me from equally the most successful in the world to outright the most successful. That took me another three years. Um, And I wanted to win two more gold in London. You know, it sounds like more gold, more gold, more gold, but there were only two events at the Olympic level that I hadn't won in every level possible. Mm. And it was the team sprint and the Kieran. And um, that was where my goals were. And unfortunately, life happens sometimes mm. outside of the profession. And um, it really affected my ability to focus and, and bring in the best of myself for Rio. That being said, I did the best that I could at the time. Yes. And I still got a fourth by 2200s in the team sprint with Steph Morton and mm. bronze in the Kieran, which. You know, I was initially disappointed with and then it was pointed out that 
that was the first time that any athlete had won individually at four consecutive games. And when I realized that, yeah. that's, that's 16 years every year being on the podium, I'm like, that's not too shabby. <laughs> You're like, I can, I can give oh, myself that, I guess. Yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny though, when you get to a certain level, because it becomes not about just one, it becomes about how long can I do it for? Yeah. Like how much longevity can I have yeah. in the sport? Yeah. And, and for me, longevity was important only if I was consistent in results. Oh, absolutely. Because we just, I hated losing, mm. hated it with a vengeance. But I found the longer my career went, the more I felt the pressure around what success was perceived for me to be mm. and the harder I found it to judge myself on my own standards of what would be successful. Mm. Um, and I also went from loving trying to win to being fearful of what would happen if I didn't. Mm. And that's a really big shift psychologically totally. in a high-performance environment yeah. um, to keep success happening. How do you manage that though? Like how did you manage that that shift? Oh, I cried a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I did uh, too. In my just, soul, I feel you. Oh, it's just the outlet. I needed the outlet from the pressure, the constant pressure and expectation. Um, Was that pressure from you? Yes. Personal judgment. Mm. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. Um, but I also think I had this perception that I was worried about what other people thought. Mm. And I've always been like that, mm. always since I was a little girl. Um, I'm learning to, you know, flick that a bit yeah. more these days. But um, And I think that's been the hardest thing for when I retired is, is shifting that self-critic, that really strong analytical judgment of myself because I think that people expect me to be successful in anything that I take on to the standard I was as an athlete. Like I, I, after I retired, I'm like, I'm going to have a go at painting. And I couldn't even put a brush mark on a blank canvas because I knew if it was sh- shit. shit. <laughs> yep. It's okay. You can swear on this podcast. <laughs> I thought about it. Um, if it was shit, I was worried about what people were going to think, mm. you know, am I, am I only good as a cyclist? Mm. And, um, and, and that, in some ways crippled me from being explorative yes. in life afterwards. Yeah. I'm like literally nodding my head off at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's such a difficult transition. How did you know that you were ready to retire? You, you talked about how London you had thoughts about it. You obviously went on to Rio. How did you know that Rio was the last one? Um, I knew Rio was the last one because about 18 months out, I was already to, ready to pull the pin. Right. The joy had gone from the daily grind and the slog because I was dealing with so much personally mm. that I couldn't compartmentalise enough to find joy in any other element of my life, especially the professional side. So um, my marriage broke down mm. um, between London and Rio, which is a huge emotional pain and discomfort. Trauma. Yeah, huge. And then to choose to physically go and hurt yourself on a daily mm. rotation was exhausting and I, and I saw no benefit because to me my relationship was of such high um what's the word I'm looking for like I valued it so highly higher than my sport that if my sport ever cost me that I'd give it up mm. you know and and it kind of caught me off guard that that I had lost it the other way around so yeah. to speak and so yeah I I'd, I'd called my coach a couple of times and my manager 
and they knew I was calling to quit and they all talked before <laughs> I got a chance to say anything. And they made me understand that even though things weren't going well and falling apart personally, I needed somewhere to go every day. Mm. I needed like-minded, positive people to be around and I needed a focus mm. and an outlet and that's what my sport became. Um, then I got injured, mm. which happens, you know, all the, the tension of everything, the lack of sleep, um, the lack of self-care that you take. Um and then on top of that, my coach, Gary West, was diagnosed with MND. So all these personal hits started to really affect my joy and everything. And by the time Rio came around, I was just desperate for it to finish, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is funny because when I got there and I stopped, it was just like Christmas. Yeah. You know, every day was Christmas. I could sleep in. What a novelty. Oh, <laughs> I, could, I could stay up late. Um, I went to my friends' houses and I drank all the alcohol because previously I was never allowed to drink alcohol. I could eat whatever they put on the table. I wasn't sticking to my nutrition plan. I'd sleep over. You know, I was having this fun, almost reliving my teens and my early 20s mm. as a as a mid-30-year-old. I was going to say, you're like in yeah. your 30s and you're like, yeah, I can sleep in and go to bed whenever I want. Oh, no. <laughs> and that sense of freedom was just so thrilling. Mm. I still get a thrill. Like I'm eight years retired and I'm like, I don't have to get up if I don't want to. Yeah, I check my calendar. I'm like, oh, nothing on today. Yep. Or I tell myself that I'm going to go and get up and do exercise and then that my alarm goes <laughs> off and I'm like, ha, nope, not today. News. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. It's so true. Like I really struggle now with exercise or physical mm. activity because I realised I've never recreationally been active mm. for the just cause factor. Yeah. Just because. I've, there's no just cause. Uh, gold medal, world title, BMX as a kid was all about being national champion. You know, karate was all about going to get the black belt. And for 24 years I was all about the Olympic Games mm. and um, put me in a board game oh. and I'll flip a table yeah. on that competitive. <laughs> but you put me on the sporting field and I just, the competitive Whatever. edge of me goes. Yep. It's just gone. I don't go to a gym I can't stand Lycra anymore. Yep. Um, I ride an e-bike as opposed to a normal bike. But I had to learn how to just be active just cause, mm. whereas before it just never kind of entered my mind. Mm. Well, because, you know, so much of what you're doing is is so targeted mm. at a specific goal for so long. What has been the transition for you? How have you found that? Obviously at first it's a novelty yeah. to do whatever, to have no routine, to have no sort of focus, no intensity of purpose. Mm. How does that go long-term though? Yeah, no, it doesn't go well. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So after about six weeks was when the novelty of that wore off, which, you know, is about the length of a decent holiday if you're yes. going to take one, yep. you know, after, you know, retiring from work or, you know, graduating from university or whatever mm. for for aver- normal people, what they would do in their lives. So that six-week mark for me kind of made me start to feel really confused in that the fun of freedom wore off. So did it mean that I wasn't quite ready to let go of the structure and routine that sport offered me? Did I make the right decision? Then I started to second-guess myself. Then I started to look for routine and structure to the point where, you know, I would give myself a wake-up time. I'd plan my breakfast the night before. I would give myself chores to complete in the day so that I feel like I was achieving something mm. as opposed to just what's on TV. Yes. You know, <laughs> because then you feel like you waste more days than, than actually get anything out of life, mm. so to speak. 
So then I started to become really confused, quite lost in my identity, couldn't quite understand why I missed something that I knew I was ready to give up. Mm. It took me a really long time and I'm the type of person who likes to get my head around something, especially to before I can talk to people about it. Yeah. There are some people I will talk to to get my head around things. Of but you know, when I stepped into the speaking circuit, people were just asking me questions I had no answer to and it was frustrating me more than them, clearly. And it took me a really long time to get my head around the simple fact that I was all of a sudden feeling irrelevant mm. in life without something that I held such value and passion for. And I realised- Is it an irre- irrelevance in- It's the wrong word. Yeah, okay. But what I realised was sport when you're in it feels like a really big world. Yes. Runs like clockwork, lots of people that give you attention. It's a bubble. Adulation. Mm-hmm. The highs are incredibly high. Yep. You know, at, at the top end of our Super game. intense. And that come down or the so-called normal mm. feels low in comparison to that experience. And when I stepped out of it, I realised life is a really big world mm. with far less people who give a shit, <laughs> with far less attention. <laughs> and this being stuck in feeling low or the so-called normal was a huge adjustment for me to get my head around. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I went to a, um, a speaking conference where you had 20 minutes to pitch what you could convey potentially for business oh. businesses and, and CEOs around a potential keynote that they might want to hire you for. And I got a 72% rating of excellent from a, a, a room of 500 Australian top business people. And I thought, shit, how do I get the other 28%? Yeah. So I, I went back. 72% <laughs> is not good enough. That's, that's like under three quarters in, you know. It's like a distinction. Yeah. It's not even a high distinction. So I went back to my speaking company. I'm like, how can I, what do I need to do to improve? How do I get better? And I was looking for all this, you know, feedback, which I'm used to in my sport. And they're like, um, and then you got, you got the highest rating of all the speakers on the day. I'm like. How how is seventy two percent the Best. highest rate? It doesn't compute. <laughs> you know? So I had to understand that my operational level or my perception of how I needed to function to survive and be successful in life was very different mm. to that of the elite sporting world. Um, and it took me a really long time to to comprehend that. It's that high performance attitude mm. and perspective, mm. and it's a big transition to go from the world that you've come from into just living. Yes. <laughs> and people are uh, cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, my my daughter has been the best thing for me in retirement because she's literally slowed me down. Yeah. She literally, you know, she would have been about six months old and I was drinking out a glass of water and she's looking at me like, what is that? And I'm like, what are you looking at? It's a glass of water. And then I'm like, oh, you've never seen? I'm like, oh, a glass of water. How exciting. Yeah. So I really started to look at the finer things in life that we so easily overlook as just being normal or there. So, yeah, she's been a blessing for me. Yeah. You articulate so much of that transition so well because it's such a understanding where you've come from and – understanding yourself and then how you can translate that into the rest of your life. Yeah. You articulate that really beautifully. Thank you. I've taken a long time to get my head around it to uh, to do that because otherwise uh, if I can't articulate it, I don't understand it. Mm. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of people who care for me Mm. who have helped me nut that out Mm. um, but have also supported me through a very long time frame to nut that out, you know, like I hit rock bottom 
hard and I hit it for a long time. What was your rock bottom? Um, you know, my rock bottom was just not being able to sleep, mm. pretty much just wishing that if I got to sleep I stayed there mm. because it was just so exhausting. I was fine in the day being distracted by people, life, tasks, you know, all my little lists yep. that I wanted to check off. <laughs> Your little achievements. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I got 10 ticks, I was like, yay. <laughs> Nailed it. <Yeah. laughs> um, but then at nighttime, everyone's asleep mm, and the there's quiet, nothing to do. It's the dark. Yeah. And yet my head was the loudest mm. at nighttime um, and that's when I needed the most support. And, yeah, it took me a long time to, you know, it took t- talking to my sister, Carrie, who'd already been through retirement and transition. Um, she was also a very successful cyclist. Yeah. And, you know, she just basically helped me understand that there was it, it wasn't um, shameful or it wasn't um, weakness to ask for help in that area. Mm. And so I actually got help with medicated sleep to get myself back onto a sleeping routine where the simple thing of sleep helps you with energy, processing, everything. thought, like mm. just everything. And that was the biggest thing that made the start of coping with the transition and change easier. You say that your mind was the loudest when you were going to sleep. What what was your mind telling you at that time that was um, difficult? Well, it was almost like what, it, what my head wanted to do when I was asleep, it was doing when I was awake. Mm compounded with the judgment of myself of those thoughts. And I learnt when you vocalise your thoughts or you write them down. Yes. One, you either hear them and you think, what are you talking about? (laughs) That's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Or two, when you write them, you have to slow your thoughts down long enough for you to be able to keep up with your handwriting. Mm. And it allows you to not race ahead without processing what's happening in your head to start with. So, some nights I could jump from analyzing my my last race in Rio to, you know, judging myself as a as a failure for my marriage breaking down. Mm. You know, it could jump from the fact that I might never be a mother, mm. um, which was always a dream of mine, to I didn't get the washing done today. Mm. You know, it, it just really vast, weird jumps mm. in, but it would happen at a really fast rate, and because there was no um, resolution to it. It compounded night after night after night after night. Yeah. 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 I know that one of my persisting thoughts even now, as I said, eight years post swimming is that I will never achieve anything ever again. And, you know, people look at you and me and, and would just go, well, you've achieved so much. You don't ever have to achieve anything. And I have so many people, particularly my sister, she's like, you've achieved so much. You don't have to do anything ever again. And I'm like, but that's not. My personality. Yeah. How do you manage that going forward? Because yeah. it's one thing to understand and recognize those thoughts. And you've obviously worked through that. As I said, you just articulate it so amazingly. How do you work through that? Because I know that that fire and energy for me hasn't gone away. Yeah. I assume, I am assuming that it hasn't gone away for you. How do you channel that energy now into something productive and purposeful? Yeah. The first thing is I've learned to be kind to myself. Yes. And that's a really hard <laughs> thing that even I sucked at as an athlete. Yes. <laughs> we tend to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and by that, I mean the self-talk or the words we use to describe ourselves to ourselves. You know, when I look in the mirror and my hair is just poking out left, right and centre <laughs> and I could use my eyebrows getting plucked and <laughs> I've got baby vomit on me and I just, you know, I could just sit there and slam myself. 
I said, I just, instead I go, you know what? Have a nice shower, give yourself some time. You survived the night and your daughter's still alive. Mm. You know, like it's just, you could, you could spend hours getting yourself ready to go out for a nice event and someone comments, oh, you're going to wear that lipstick with that dress or those shoes with that dress. And it just, one comment out of 10 will just completely ruin your night. Mm. That's the sort of person that I am. So I've had to learn to diss that yep. and focus on the other side of it. But for me, I, I really stepped away from the so-called success measure mm. and my partner Nick actually has been very, very prominent in this helping me. He simply sat me down one day and he said, scrap in your head what you think other people would like to see you do or that you'd be good at mm. in what you want to do life after cycling or after sport. And he said, ask yourself, Anna, what makes you happy? What's going to mm. bring you joy? And that's why I kind of went down a very different path to the, even though I dabble in the commentary and the TV stuff, it's not not my scene. It's not your jam. No, it's um, it's not. And I, I enjoy dabbling, but I couldn't do it full time. Yes, which is why you know I went down the fostering path. I um, I, I spent fostering children, fostering children, amazing. So I spent eighteen months doing all of my training and um, interviews and being passed on the on the panels and stuff because I thought maybe I'm not going to be able to have a family of my own and if I could influence positively a child in the way that I've learned through sport, then surely that's got to be a positive thing. Ah, that's amazing. Yeah. And um, my first experience was utterly incredible. It was emotionally gut-wrenching when mm. I had to let them go, but my role was an emergency carer. So I had a little boy with me for five days and he, he, when he came to me, he was scared of my dog. He was scared of a lot of things. He, you know, I was told he could be autistic. They didn't know a lot about him. And I, I thought to myself when he was in my care, I said, this kid's not autistic. He's just super smart. So when wow. I started engaging with him in a different way, he responded in a different way um, to the point where he didn't want to leave, which was really hard. Oh, my goodness. But, um, you know, I was, just, I was just gobsmacked by the simple fact that I was in South Australia at the time and I went to one information session for one company. And they needed to play 600 kids a night in South Australia alone. Ooh. And I couldn't understand how in Australia our own kids are in that much need. Mm. So that kind of drove me to be involved more with charities. Um, I love being involved, obviously, with Fight MND because mm. I lost my coach, Gary, to MND. Yeah. Um, little heroes for really sick kids, um, but also the foster care system and backpacks for kids, which provide a backpack, literally one backpack for a child who gets removed from home and placed into a foster care system. So that that bag is just packed with so much love and care um, that it's really nice to be involved with an organisation like that. So that was one element that gave me joy mm. but wasn't about the self-achievement or anything like that or, or measuring my success. It was yeah. about the positive influence on others that I could implement. Yeah, and then impact, the, yeah. Yeah. And then the other side of it was, you know, ever since I was a kid, I loved art at school. If mm. I wasn't going to go anywhere in sport, I was going to go be an art teacher and, and follow that path. So I, I, I just Googled the closest art studio for lessons and spent three years going there a um, couple times a week, just upskilling myself and learning. And now I dabble in a bit of pottery and I get a bit crafty and I make sensory boards. I made one for my daughter and put it up online. And then all these other mums like, oh, I'd like one of those. <laughs> yeah, so, that'd be super popular. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I'm in a completely different field to what people I think would expect me to be, oh. but that's what makes me happy now. Is it nice to not be in that sort of high performance, intense sort of bubble? Yeah. 
I tend to shy away from anything that puts me under high stress or high performance or gives me that anxiety that I felt in sport in mm. that level. That's interesting because some people seek that. Yeah, I've gone the other way. Yeah. Um, and I, if I find myself in that position, like I'm fortunate to be on the commentary team for Tokyo in a couple of months and I already feel anxious mm. to be a part of the commentary team. Totally. You know, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, but I really want to be able to educate people on my sport because one of the things that happened so much or asked me so much when I retire was, why is your event called the sprint when you go so slow? <laughs> you know, there's, there's just this lack of education around the, ta- the tactics. so elements. fast. <laughs> well, in the end I went fast. Yeah. At the start it was pretty slow. <laughs> I literally stopped living yes, in the final. Yes, so. yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so to me that's what's drawing me into wanting to do that Yeah, because it reignites my love for the basics of my sport as opposed to the really high-performance pointy end of my sport. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't like the, the pressure stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. I find that really interesting because people do, like, like I know that one of the things I miss is that performance side of things. Oh, love that. Yeah, where you, get, you do get those butterflies, you do get that anxiety. Like I know that you coming here today, I was anxious because I want to do a good job <laughs> and I kind of I hate it but I love it. Yeah. Did you get that when you were competing where you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. I never. But then I'm like, uh, yes, that was the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> what was I worrying about? At the Why did I worry about that? Um, the only time I had that was Rio. Yeah, okay. Every other time, the only thing that got me through the daily grind was knowing I was going to get a chance to race. I loved Isn't racing the best. Racing. Yeah. Loved it. Pinned a number on me any day. Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't like it in Rio. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So how do you keep fit now? Like how do you <laughs> – what's your just cause for exercise? <laughs> well, I'm a hacker at golf. Yeah? Yeah. I, I like getting – and I know when I'm better at golf because my step count has gone from um, 12,000 for nine holes down to 8,000. <laughs> so I'm not zigzagging across the course I love much. that you're measuring that yeah. because that's a sign of someone who is like focused on their goals. Yeah. They know how to improve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, other than that, I – I walk my dog. Because um, walking is exercise. It is. Did you realise that before? No. <laughs> I used to walk to burn extra calories if I wanted chocolate. <laughs> you know, so I had my nutrition plan for my daily training set out and then if I was, you know, desperate for a bit of chocolate, I knew how much calories was in the chocolate. I knew how much walking that required to not showing anything. It is nice fault. not to have to think like that now, isn't it? It is very nice. Um yeah, so and, and walking is a lower intensity activity, which I really enjoy. Mm. When it comes to riding, I don't do much. I've just gotten into the online gaming side of things ah, with Swift. Oh, yeah. Which is different. I've seen those. Yeah. What's that about? So it's pretty much you just have this Bluetooth system hooked up to your bike. There's lots of different ways you could do it, but essentially you can just ride at home. Oh, in half your clothing. You don't have to fully get dressed to go out on the streets or deal with traffic or anything yep. like that and meet up with anyone anywhere in the world ah. and ride on a virtual platform. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I could ride around the Champs-Élysées if I wanted to. or In a peloton? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you can go on your own ah, cool. and people go past and like, are you the real enemy? It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you want to sprint? I'm like, nah. Nah. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Yeah. You I'm, go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know, I worked 40, 40 minutes around my nap, my daughter's nap times. For that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas now I'll take my daughter out on my e-bike and no, it's not cheating. 
e-bikes are a great way to be active. Totally agree. Especially when there's hills and yep. headwinds because <laughs> otherwise I just won't ride. Yep. Oh, I'm the same with swimming. I always put my fins on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheating. It's still doing Absolutely. the work. You're still going the same kilometres. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with Ev, um, your little girl, she's 15 months. Yes. Would you get her into sport? Like can you imagine that sort of thing for her? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Without a shadow of a doubt, I love that she's an active little girl. I love that she'll eat dirt. I love that Mm. she's just into being outside. Mm. Um, And if she's inside, she's not terribly taken by technology, although the iPhone, you know, that's a bit of a problem at the moment. Um, So fine. Yeah. It's a necessary evil sometimes. <laughs> I know. I think back to when I was a kid, I'm like, well, I did play the Game Boy a lot. So. A lot. Mm. I played it so much. Yeah. Tetris, come on. I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm still taken by Tetris these yeah. days. But um, I think sports are really good like teacher, mm. a great vehicle for so much in life that if I denied my daughter that opportunity, I think she'd miss out on too much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to lose. I wanted to get hurt. I wanted to break a bone. I wanted to learn how to pick herself up. I wanted to back herself in. I wanted to work hard to achieve something. And I think sport is the perfect way to do that. Mm. Cycling? Look, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm honest, Um, maybe not cycling. (laughs) I mean, yeah, she doesn't. It's not good odds for me. Um, (laughs) given that her dad is a coach of cycling and I'm, I'm an athlete of cycling, (laughs) but, um, I just know what my parents went through now that I'm a mum and I'm old enough to appreciate what they did for me. (sighs) I don't know if I could live up to that standard. Mm. Um, in terms of like getting you to training or in terms of the commitment, the commitment, you know, it's because I committed already so much of my life to it, mm. I feel like I'd be committing more again. Yeah. But because it's for my daughter, I would do it. Of course, um, yeah. You know, I would worry for the standard that she would have on her without, you know, she'd almost be handicapped that I'm her mum, I think. The expectations, yeah. yeah. Um, if she chose to do it, by all means, I'd back yep. her in 100%. Mm. Um but I wanted to try all different things as well, you know, different sports, music. I wanted to try dancing. I wanted to try, you know, technology, science. Swimming's just- pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm bottom heavy. I don't work well That's in the strong water. Strong legs, strong legs. <laughs> kick, kick, kick. Yeah. I tell her, kick, kick, kick. Yeah. We haven't got bubbles Bub- yet. Not but- bubbles. That's okay. She's only 15 months. <laughs> um, well, I'll send her your way yeah. if she gets in the pool. Bring her over. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I think you're so right though. I think it, it it's such a wonderful outlet for kids. It's like a microcosm of life. Like mm. you learn so much about yourself in those environments, both. Well, I find it hard because I, you know, I very much was an individual sport athlete. So the idea of team sports, I don't necessarily understand totally, but I like the idea of, <laughs> especially now as a parent. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a nice idea to work together. Yeah. <laughs> But it was never something that suited no, me. No, it didn't. I didn't like it if people didn't work as hard as I did. Yeah. Um, but I learned even as an individual athlete, you're still part of a team. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. But the action of the sport is very, very different individual to a team. Yeah. Um, I don't like this notion that a lot of people say, oh, I prefer to be a part of a team sport because it's, you know, it's you know, not as selfish and all this sort of thing. I think selfish is a really bad word to put on individual athletes because selfish is to me 
um, you know, how you act towards other people mm. with your own self-interest first. Mm. It's a dedication that's so intense that can't be shared on anyone else, which is why I think individual athletes have that perception about them. Mm. Um, don't get me wrong, some athletes can be selfish. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> there are can be dicks out there. Yeah. 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 There's an egg in each basket. Yeah, exactly. But you articulate it so well. I like that that perspective of it. Mm. You've also written a book. Yeah. Can you tell people about the process of writing that and how you found it? Did you find it quite a cathartic experience? Yeah. So my book's called Now. Um, sometimes the end of the race is just the beginning, which um, I was approached by a number of book publishers um, and, and you know, authors to write a book after Rio when I retired, but I was just going through so much I wasn't ready to, to open that can of worms, so to speak, and I knew that what I would have put on paper then would have been very emotionally driven and not, not me. Mm. So I declined all of them, and a couple of years later, once I got my head around life out of sport, and I, I said to them this, I said, I'll have far more to offer than just the athlete. Um, and so when I felt comfortable to do it and wanted to do it based around my speaking and the feedback I was getting from that and the, the learnings that I had had from my career, I felt like I could really offer something strong in the book. No one wanted to publish it. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> I was um, apparently no longer relevant in that realm, which hurt. Isn't that frustrating though? Because yeah. it's like you're only relevant for that short period of time. Yeah. And then it's like, but I'm better. Yeah. I'm a better human and <laughs> I have more to say. Yeah, just because you haven't seen me. Yeah. I'm still I'm here. still here and my achievements still stand. It's so true. It's really true. Um so I kind of self-published, self-funded um the book partly with Jeff Armstrong from Stoke Hill Press. So I got in touch with Steve Waugh, who was a good friend of mine. I, I said, is there anyone in the publishing industry you could put me in touch with that might be interested? Reese Homfrey is a good friend of mine, a great um, sports author, um, journalist as well, compiled it, the concepts, the, you know, the breakdowns, the chapters, and we sent that to, to Jeff. Mm. He loved it. Amazing. We put it together, and it's not your typical sports autobiography book. It's not I was born here, got involved in sport here, won this, da-da-da. It's a perspective look back on my career to allow the pillars in between competitions to be filled for people because that's that's what people miss out on. Mm. They, they tune in every four years or every two years at Commonwealth and Olympic Games. Yep. But I wanted to take the pedestal away that people were putting me on to showcase that I had been through a lot in life as well, but sport was just my foundation of travelling through that. Mm. And I'm really proud of the book. It's um, It's, I think, something that, can be enjoyed by and something taken from for everyone from school kids to retirees mm. um, and that I'm really proud of. You should be. That's amazing. So where can people buy it? Uh, basically just go online to yep. Stoke Hill Press through there. It's, it's available in most good bookshops but yep. like all books after it's been out for a year it starts to go yeah. to the back. So. Irrelevant. <laughs> you know you're out of the limelight. It's the new ones are coming through. You're but like, mine, cool. yeah, mine's at the front of my shelf at home. Yes, of course, yeah. as it should be. Um, but I felt it was very good cathartic experience and um you know one day I dedicated it I dedicated it to my daughter and hopefully one day she'll read it and because really to her I'm just gonna be mum yeah you know how am I going to tell her of all the things that I've done and, and been through and maybe one day I'll just push her the book that way <laughs> hey you can read this <laughs> and then come back to I me know what I'm talking about <laughs> I'm clever and I've had experiences <laughs> she'll probably be like whatever mum yeah yeah I'll read it later and so what's the next sort of year 
two years because we're so used to working in four-year cycles. Like I, I still find myself kind of getting into that yeah. routine. Yes. And because obviously you are doing a little bit with the Olympics, yeah. I assume that kind of momentum has continued for you. What do you feel like is going to happen in the next yeah, well, four-year cycle? <laughs> well, my, my life is still around four-year cycles because Nick, of my course, partner, is, yeah. is, a, is the track coach now for Australia, so I can't get away from yeah. it. <laughs> Still here. When we started dating, I'm like, we're not talking. No shop. We're not uh, talking. Has cycling. that continued? Nah. No, no. <laughs> uh, that's that's selfish. Yeah. You know, because he he needs support as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, I've taken on general manager role for Birmingham next year with the Australian Commonwealth Games team, which is really interesting to learn how something like that happens. Amazing behind the scenes. So I'm working under Chef Patria Thomas with the the Com Games team for that. And, um, yeah, Nick and I were welcoming our second Bubby in October this year. So, so exciting. Do you know what you're having? No. I want to know second time around. Yep. Nick said no. He said, you can find out if you don't tell me. And I said, I oh, can't do that. Imagine one slip. No, you can't do that. No. So we don't know. Surprises are the best. Honestly, yeah. they are. Yeah. You'll You'd had yours surprised. Yeah, times, all three yeah. surprises and all three I thought were boys. So Yeah, I thought Ev was a boy <laughs> and I'm going with girl this time. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Little girls are fun. Yeah. But I'm sure little boys are great too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I'm sure I've heard. (laughs) Um, and it's been so nice talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Yeah. Oh, if people want to buy your sensory things or any of your pottery or your art, where can people look at that? Um, just on all your social media platforms, it's am underscore pottery underscore and po- underscore art. So AM Pottery and Art. Amazing. Yeah. And I'll put, that's a note thing. We can put <laughs> it in our notes in this podcast episode. Thank I'm you. very professional, but we'll put all that and links to your books as ev- and everything as well. Awesome. But Anna, thank you so much. My you pleasure. Just, Thanks for having me. I feel like I know more about myself because of the way you've articulated <laughs> a lot it of things. It makes sense now. It does. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the episode with Anna Mears. As mentioned, all of those links are in the show notes. If you did like today's show, please like and subscribe and share. And if you have any retired athletes that you would love to hear from, please head to All That Glitters Pod on Instagram and let us know your thoughts.